0: I'm not proud, but that was me, and when I face it, I take back a little dignity, not looking for excuses, I just want to be free from power weakness had on me. Hi,
1: everyone, and welcome to the Bubble Hour, where real people tell real stories of addiction and recovery. I'm Jean McCarthy, recovery author, blogger, and podcast host. I've been chronicling my adventures in life after alcohol since my first day of sobriety 10 years ago in my blog, Unpickled, and in the books I write. So I tell my stories there, and I hold space for your stories here. Today, I'm holding space for Nicole. Hi, Nicole. Welcome to the Bubble Hour. Hi, Jean. Thank you for having me. It's an honor and a
2: pleasure to be here today.
1: Hi. I'm glad that you're here. Yeah. We connected through some online groups, and I know that you've had an eventful recovery <laughs> and you're going to share some of that with us today. <laughs> so, thank you for being here. I will turn the mic over to you and ask you to tell us your story. Okay. Well, well, thank you
2: so much, Jean. I want to say thank you so very much for allowing me to hold space to share my story. I want to share my story in hopes that it it helps someone out there. And I want women to know that you're not alone. In recovery, at the age I am now, which is 50, in society, it seems to be getting better as far as shame and being vulnerable and sharing things like this. So I really am inspired to let women know that that you're not alone and that um, everything is going to be okay. So I thank you very, very much, Jean, for what you do. And I'd like to say thank you to She Recovers, which is an amazing online group uh where I sh- shared my story and was able to connect with you there and in sharing my story. So I am forever grateful for those online uh groups like that that, that allow uh women in my situation and in recovery do so. As I stated, I am uh, 50 years old, just turned 50 a few months ago, and I have been sober since October 6th of 2017. I live in, in northern Wisconsin, and I am married for 29 years, recently separated as in the last several weeks. Uh, which I will touch base on um, towards the end of my story, and I have two amazing daughters uh, and one granddaughter, so I'm very blessed um, for that. I work full-time as an office manager. My spare time, I love anything outdoors. I started running at age 41. Anything I can do, biking, swimming, hiking in the wintertime here, which is a good seven, eight months out of out of the year where I live, you really need to embrace the cold and the weather because you don't have a choice. So I, I really enjoy my spare time. Uh, that's what I do. I also keep busy with two online businesses where part of that is coaching as far as believe it or not, uh, health and fitness, and and helping women with that. So. That's a part of my story as well. So that's currently what I am up to. My story begins at age five. My parents separated. They divorced. I guess until, honestly, when I became sober, and I'm sure a lot of women understand this, you don't understand the full effects maybe of the childhood trauma that you go through until you detach yourself from from those addictions and really sit with your feelings and learn and understand how your path can play such a role on on your behaviors and your life and I say that because, I know that I had a a dysfunctional childhood, uh, to say the least, but I never wanted it to define me. Like recently, until really I started diving in in the third year on alcoholism in my family, how it actually affects you medically and, and PTSD, the trauma, and really understanding that in the last year of my sobriety is where I've really come to terms with a lot of things. My mother has been married six times. I move around a lot. There's family sexual abuse uh, for several years that had taken place. My mother was um, physically abusive for many, many, many years to my, my two brothers. I have two older brothers. Um, I am the baby of the family. She was very emotionally abusive. I later in life, through three several years of therapy, came to terms and understood boundaries and forgave her uh, truly for for my childhood. But as a child, going through such scary, Situations, I understood again in recovery how I became such a secret keeper <laughs> or keeper of secrets, how I became such a pro at compartmentalizing everything, how I do not talk about my feelings because it was not allowed. And so I really, truly understand how when you're a child going through many years of different types of abuse, how you learn to just hope. Also, a big people pleaser. Uh, Like I said, my mom was married six times, so I basically lived with her, my brother's lived with my father, who was an alcoholic, and he will play a major part in my story. As far as my mom, I believe she had her addictions as well. I've never really spoke about the relationship I've had with my mother, but feel like it's incredibly important to share because I know other women uh, can relate. So although we have a great relationship now, It was very hard to explain, and I could not understand for years why my mother treated me the way she did. There were times where she would love me and just thought I was the world one minute, and the next minute could be so mean and jealous, and it's so confusing as a child to understand those that relationship. As I moved around with her up until I, I moved out at age 17, there were beatings that had taken place for odd things. One one moment I recall, I was 11 years old and she was living with a, a boyfriend at the time and she had left for work and I was getting ready for school and her boyfriend had said to me, can you take a look at, I think I have something something's in my hair. And he was sitting on the couch and I sat down next to him and I was like looking at his hair and he had this knot in his hair and um he thought he had something in it. My mom had walked in the door and she looked at me with just anger and I'll never forget that look and she walked out back out the door. I went to school and that day I came home and She questioned me why I was sitting so close to her boyfriend, what my intentions were, what I was actually doing. She didn't believe that I was just looking at his matted hair because he had asked me to and um, proceeded to beat me. It's so strange how all of these years later, I can remember every second of that day and then my memory will be wiped clear for years and not remember anything until, until something else uh, traumatizing uh, took place. So, getting back to my father, I did not live with, with my dad. I mainly lived with my mom. My father worked out of town on the road, and my brothers stayed at the house. So, my father would come home on the weekends and he did not have a very great home environment for my brothers and they were able to kind of do what they what they please as far as i knew of him he drank his whole entire life the odd thing is as much as he drank and i had witnessed him drunk constantly i admired this man and i don't know if it's just a father daughter type Thing or because I never was able to be raised by him, but I loved him so much. And maybe I thought because he would always save me one day, but he never did. When he would come and visit me throughout my years, he provided alcohol. I was 11 years old when I took my first taste of alcohol, which was beer. Beer and liquor were always. Plentiful in my dad's house, so we started young. I was 11 years old, and I, I took my first, opened up my first can of warm beer, and I liked it. There were times when I was probably 12, 13 years old, drinking and feeling that euphoria, and obviously that was was how I felt the only way I could escape from really what was going on in my real life. So I developed a taste for it very young. When my father would visit with me, it involved drinking. He would pick up alcohol and we would drive around. I mean, this was the norm at age 14, 15, 16, which I think of as a mother now, it's it's so shocking. But that was what we did and didn't think anything of it. And so by the time I was 16, I was a pretty seasoned drinker. I ended up having a a party at, at my house and I was date raped. I share that part because that night I attempted suicide. It was a pivotal moment for me. I thought, think because of the sexual abuse that i had suffered as a child for many years it brought me back there i just felt why why does this have to happen to me and at 16 i took a whole bunch of pills locked in the bathroom during this party fortunately i had friends there who broke down the door And stuck their finger down my throat, and I proceeded to throw up. And we kept that a pretty big secret um, until it did come out in high school. it, It ended up, the rumor got around school. The school got involved. There was testimony. My mother was furious about the party that I had. And again, never I felt realized that I was taken advantage of. Just like in my childhood, she was more upset, I felt, about the fact that I had this party, never sought treatment for me, for counseling, for for any of it, and life just went on. The other thing I also wanted to share was I realized as a way to cope with the emotional abuse when I was a teenager, I would not only... Shut down, like I had this ability to detach myself and shut down, but I also used my fingernails or my fingers and would hurt myself while the abuse was going on. I never thought of it until I was in recovery, how often I had done that. I had kind of forgotten that I used to do that until I was in recovery and thought about it. I never shared that with anyone actually until now. Again, I know I share because I know that someone out there can relate to it and and why it takes a role in, in my recovery now as far as how I deal with confrontation. So I graduated high school. I ended up leaving my mom and moved out. On my own, um, actually, with a boyfriend, was 19 years old when I got my my first and only DWI. I ended up leaving a gas station without my headlights on, and got pulled over. The officer obviously could smell alcohol on my breath. He asked if I was drinking. I said yes. He gave me a breathalyzer, and I blew .22. At age 19, probably weighed at that time 125 pounds and I blew a .22. Looking back at it now, that's a very high level, uh, for a, a small person. And at a young age, I continued to, to drink. I met my husband, which I said we were recently separated. I met my husband in a bar, age 21. We had a blast. We held good jobs. We moved in together. Everything that we did, though, involved alcohol. Whether it was snowmobiling, whether it was boating, any parties that we had, whether it was birthday parties, everything revolved or had alcohol involved. And I'm not saying that we were very intoxicated. At times you'd have a few drinks, sometimes have more than a few. But the fact that it it always seemed to be present, it's shocking as I try to recall different events, um, concerts, golfing. whatever we did, there was always alcohol involved. In my 20s is when I, my dad and his alcoholism started to take a toll on him. We spent several years, my brothers and I, trying to uh, help him. We forced him into treatment many times. We had him committed. We took over guardianship of him he was hospitalized many, many times for having seizures from withdrawals of of alcohol. And many, many times he was never to survive. Um, And he did. Uh, My husband and I had uh, got married at 28. We had our first child at 30. At 32, I had my second child. And I could stop drinking. I mean, obviously, I did not drink when I was pregnant. It wasn't an issue for me then. And then it got bad with my father. I had gotten a call. My daughter was, my youngest was six weeks old. I was home on maternity leave, actually going through postpartum depression. And uh, my brother called and he had found my father dead in, in the garage. Ironically, that day he was going out there to have him committed into treatment again for, I don't know, maybe the seventh or eighth time. That day, I think, started uh, the downfall for me. So he uh, passed away a heart attack. Um, It was alcohol-related. It was very, very, very difficult because I could not grasp. For many years, I never could understand why I couldn't change him, why he couldn't stop six weeks after he passed, my grandmother, uh, his mother, whom was uh, uh, very close to, she was diagnosed with cancer. And six weeks after that, she passed away. I was left at that time with no coping skills on how to deal with anything. So I started drinking. It was in the evenings when I would drink. I would maintain my job, motherhood, wife, do all my my duties, I guess you could say. But in evenings, I was drinking. I would use that to cope with all of what I was going through. As you know, alcohol is a depressant. The more I drank, the sadder I got and the more I cried. And that went on for several months until I could not get out of bed. I had never really been depressed. And apparently what I had suffered was just like a a total breakdown. I physically could not get out of bed. I didn't want to get out of bed. And my husband and sister-in-law brought me to our behavioral health unit where I shared that I had been drinking, that I didn't know what I was going to do. I couldn't see past each day in dealing with the sadness that I had felt with these two um, passing family members that were so important to me. I ended up leaving. The next day I, I left and I went into an outpatient treatment where I had a wonderful therapist and I spent probably three years in some very serious therapy where i shared secrets that i had held in my whole life it was so such hard work yet so incredible in what i learned from that as we got more into therapy we obviously talked about alcohol and how i was using it several years later i thought you know i was good i I went to therapy. I learned so much. I I was using boundaries with my mom for the first time. I confronted my mom for the first time. Things were good with my husband, my kids, you know, I felt like things were going in the right direction. So years went on and slowly started kind of going back to that drinking where when we would go out, I would not be able to stop. Like I not get enough. Quite a few times, we would get into arguments about it. Like, he couldn't understand why I just couldn't stop. And I couldn't tell him because I didn't know. I truly did not know why I couldn't stop. I just couldn't. Yet, we continued for several years that way. And then at age 41, my other grandmother um, passed away from cancer. And I decided to make a change in my lifestyle. I had quit smoking. I started running. I started eating healthy, lost like 30 pounds. And I quit drinking for like six months and realized, you know, obviously I do have a problem because I knew how I felt in those six months when I did not have the alcohol, how different I felt. The thing was, is I was also dealing with a stressful marriage and I did not know how to handle that. So I started drinking again and, and that was just my coping. I could never grasp the tools, I guess, the learning tools that I do now because I always went back to alcohol. I want to share also in my years of drinking, I was a blackout drinker and i would probably at least 60% of the time would black out you know the shame with that is tremendous because you never know what happened you never know what you said what you did and there were many many times where where that was the case so the type of drinker that i was as far as blacking out just piled on the shame fast forward to age 47 at that time i would drink to just numb out what was going on in my in my marriage the only time i felt i was okay or that i could deal with anything was if i was inebriated One night, October 6th, we uh, had gone out. It was our our town's homecoming parade, and I continued to drink to the point, as usual, where I was very intoxicated. My husband left me at the bar with family members, and I remember leaving the bar that night. And I don't remember anything until hearing my sister-in-law screaming. And I remember them helping me into my house, and I don't remember anything until waking up the next day in a lot of pain, and there was blood all over my bed. When I looked in the mirror, I could not believe what I saw looking back at me. My face was unrecognizable, and I almost passed out because of the shock. I think because of the pain and everything, I couldn't remember how or why I looked the way I did. I grabbed my phone. I called my sister-in-law because I remember being with her and I was crying and I said, you need to come get me. And they put me in the car and we went to the emergency room. I live in a very small town where everybody knows everybody's business. At that point, I didn't care who knew or saw what I looked like in, in the emergency room? I knew that something was really wrong. So I spent several hours in the emergency room. The, they took a CT scan, and the doctor could not even address any of my facial wounds. They were mainly concerned because they thought that I had a brain bleed. There was bruising and, on the brain, and she looked at me and said, that she would need to send me to ambulance to uh, another town that had a neurosurgeon because they were not equipped to deal with what they thought was going on with me. And that was the turning point of my journey. And I'll never forget when she said that, I looked at my sister-in-laws and I started I just, I lost it. And I said, please, God, please, God, I will do anything. I will never drink again. Do not let this be the end of of my life. With brain bleeds, you can pass away from them. And I instantly thought of my father and I thought of my girls and I prayed that God would not let me leave my girls the way my father had left me and that I would do everything in my power to change my life, to never drink again, if he allowed me to survive this. And I spent the night in the hospital and ICU. It was just severe uh, concussion and they were CT scanning me periodically to make sure that it wasn't traveling. I left that hospital and said, I, I'm done. I am done. I spent the first year trying to overcome the accident, which apparently I had fallen in the parking lot. And if you saw my physical face, you would think that I had been in a severe car crash. It was pretty bad. So I spent that first year really trying to heal physically and emotionally and the shame of allowing myself to get to what I looked like in that point. And it was really, really difficult to get through that first year. And and I uh, basically felt like I was treading water for a whole year, just trying to survive day by day through the shame and the guilt. The second year, got better. I ended up having some plastic surgery to repair the scars in the tears in my face, which helped because every time I looked at my face, it reminded me of my accident and that brought back on all of the shame. So it was like I could never allow myself grace. I couldn't get over that night physically because it it would take me back. So I had healed that way and, and, and then I started healing the inside of me through therapy again where I admitted to being an alcoholic for the first time in understanding why I drink, why I allowed myself to get to where I was, and how I was going to live the rest of my life alcohol-free. Because in my area and my family, it's so prevalent It's just what we do. And it was so scary to think of that. But I kind of surrounded myself with with people that didn't drink. I dove into a lot of podcast books. The Bubble Hour was my very first podcast that I had downloaded when I first became sober three years ago. And I just soaked in everything I could. I never started AA For me, personally, I'm not opposed or or anything. It just never was a part of my journey. It just never occurred to me, I think, because I just always try to manage myself and, and feel like I can do things always on my own. But like I said, I was reading, I was listening, I was soaking in everything I could. My third year of sobriety, I again started now sharing my story and sharing my journey on social media and that to me also was a changing point for me because the more i shared the more i felt relatable and i could help others and i wasn't alone and it was not uncommon or unheard of and and i really focused in on that and came to terms with where my 29 year relationship marriage with my husband came into to play with that so my youngest graduated in June of 2019 when she left for college i came to terms with where i needed to go with my marriage and ultimately we had a discussion in november my husband and i and I told him that I could not stay in the marriage anymore, not only because of his drinking. So in the three years that I was sober, he continued to drink. That in itself, to look back and get through my sobriety is pretty amazing, I feel, because for a lot of women, it's really hard when your significant other still partakes in that. And I knew I knew that he was never going to stop, and that was okay. I knew I could not change him. I had no intentions of changing him. I could only change myself, and I knew what I needed to do. And unfortunately, we decided to separate. I I decided to separate because my sobriety is the first and foremost And I started resenting him because of the things that he was doing. That was in November and December. We got through the holidays, and now I'm really embracing women and trying to share that part of the journey because I know for a lot of us, we feel as though after 29 years of being with this person and alcohol being involved, well, 27 years, I was three years sober. How do you go on? now i'm i'm sober and single but i know that this is my journey i truly believe god has put me where I am at and saved me that day in the emergency room for moments like this to share. And I am going to do my best and continue to help other women in, in my situation and share my story and focus on that. God has shown me that
1: that's where I'm meant to be. and So uh, that, that's where I'm at today. Wow. Thank you for sharing, Nicole. Congratulations on your 50th. Happy birthday to you. I <laughs> I know that it's a bittersweet time, right? I mean, you're celebrating where you're at today and, and grieving the changes that your relationship is going through. But I guess that with, with recovery, sometimes it's a mixed bag, right? It's not all good and not all bad, but we can handle it. As I listened to your story and you held so much as a child. And my heart breaks for everything that you endured as a little person who should have been protected and cherished. And I'm sad that you didn't have that. And yet I hear as you tell your story that even as you address that part of your story and acknowledge that part of your life, you're ready for the healing, right? I can also tell that you're excited for what lies ahead. Uh, Sometimes I think about my highest self or like the woman I want to be or the, you know, the 90 year old I want to grow into. Um, can you talk about acquainting yourself with this new layer, new level, new readiness that you have in your recovery?
2: Um, sure. I, I love how you said that new layer. As, as you said, it is bittersweet to be at the age where I am, uh, 50, I feel in some ways, my life is just beginning, which some people think, oh, 50, you know, 50, that's old. But with my sobriety now, my children, my, my grandchild, I have so many things that I want to do now in my life. I picture myself just inspiring. And that's what I want to do. I want to inspire, I want to be a role model. I I want to help that stigma for women, for moms, that alcohol, you know, alcoholic women is, is labeled. I want to be able to make a difference. And I picture myself doing that, definitely have overcome and I have healed myself in many ways. There's still some healing left to do and and now with with my relationship of of 29 years my significant other you know there's going to be healing for that but I feel more positive more excited and bright about where my journey and where my life is going to take me now in 2021.
1: I've seen the photos uh from your fall and they're terrifying. (laughs) Yeah, And it occurs to me that it's near miraculous that you not only recovered, but that you don't have lasting damage from that kind of a head injury. I sometimes share an expression I learned uh, from a, a meeting, alcohol wants you dead, but it'll settle for making you miserable. It is almost a time of rebirth. You really did go right to the edge of the precipice before coming before coming back, you know? Yeah. I think that speaks to the depth of the trauma that you were in survival mode from. And some of the books I'm reading right now are about healing from childhood trauma. And you know, one of the concepts mm-hmm. is that as humans, we have these coping skills that we that we naturally reach for as children. They're instinctive and they're meant for short term difficult situations that are too much to handle. But when you're constantly, regularly exposed to traumatic and dangerous circumstances and neglect, these things that were only meant for short term become your way of life. It's like trying to sprint through a <laughs> marathon kind of. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it's like, of course it doesn't work. Yes. Of course it doesn't and of course it has limitations but then when you think about you or anyone who does it long term you know it's heartbreaking that you've gone through so many years of of pain and struggling and yet it's also amazing how we get through this and then to lay that down and say i'm ready to embrace an easier way to live or a gentler way to live i'm ready to stop living in crisis mode and start entering into every day. It strikes me that you would have to relearn just basic skills. And even your body, I'm guessing <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> how to, learning how to breathe, you know, and when we're panicking, we chest breathe and learning how to actually take a deep breath. So I'm wondering if you can identify what are some of the basic things you've had to relearn, or what are some of the new things you're discovering as you learn how to live differently? when i when
2: i did share my pictures of of my fall it, it, like you said it was amazing that that i could survive that and and you wouldn't understand it unless you actually saw the pictures and saw what i looked like and and i think again after having so many close calls with my blackouts this time I was on, on the end, and, and it, it doesn't get any worse than that. But for me now, as I said, I started running at age 41, and so I, I run. I've always been an exercise person, so I dealt with food. I, I've had my share of food addictions throughout my life. In my teens, I was bulimic, and when I stopped drinking, I put on 35 pounds of, of weight that first year because I did not know how to cope. And so I ate. And that's very, very familiar. I hear women say that all the time. Um, so the second year and the third year, I've worked to to get that off and to understand my connection with food and just trying to learn, like you said, those coping skills. So I practice I, I do a daily devotional. I'm, I'm big into a morning routine, which I've done for years, which is letting go, is,
1: uh, learning, um, the language of letting go.
2: Yes, is amazing. I cannot tell you how many people I have shared on social media that book and it's amazing. I do a morning ritual. I think it's, it's very important for, for me personally um, to start my mornings off with that mindset, with getting into a good space. Um, I try to get a my workouts in in the morning because for physically, for me, it also sets the tone for my day. In the last year, I've really tried to be gentle with myself and giving myself grace and to stop. My expectations of myself. And so I'm just really focusing on reading and diving into those type of groups on social media, and in reaching out to people that I connect with that can help with that and honor myself and how far I've come now in my journey, like looking at it saying, Nicole, be proud, be proud of yourself. And it's hard when you've spent so many years in trauma, in survival, in crisis, to feel like you've gotten through, you feel what is there to be proud of until, you know, again, later on it, in my sobriety, I'm learning there is a lot to be proud of, girl. So I'm really accepting myself this past year, and I want to do more of that. I know that there is more in store for me of allowing myself grace and and really loving myself.
1: Tell me more about that. What are some of the things that you feel proud about, and what are some things that give you joy in a way that you weren't able to experience when you were numbing with alcohol?
2: So... (laughs) Part of of what I've learned, you know, again in the last year, because I feel like for me, for my story, sobriety came in phases. After getting through the first two years, I am learning the tools. I've noticed, I've recognized, I'm learning to find my voice in relationships and really using my voice as far as that what you did, that hurts my feelings. Or no, I can't take this on because I'm too busy. Instead of, you know, numbing my feelings and everything, I'm really finding my voice and using the tools for my feelings. So I'm learning to do that. The joy I feel now with watching my granddaughter, who's a year old, and and my, my grown daughter's being able to connect with them now differently i've i've been honest with them they know uh, i've i've been very open in my growing up as a child we were never talked with anything with your parents so i've really tried to always be open communication with my girls and and i've really been honest with them and that I feel is healing and it's good for them to learn those skills that were never taught to me. So really going through now this period in my life, I feel like my girls and I I don't know if it's part because I'm beginning this amazing journey now, but we're really in a good spot and they really allow me to feel some real honest joy for the first time in a long time. And that makes me happy. And moving forward with my granddaughter, knowing that being a grandparent will not be what it was for my girls, how my parents were there as grandparents. So so changing changing this, the story on that as well is important for me.
1: That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, that is a standing ovation, <laughs> right? <I> mean, <laughs> yeah. That is powerful. You touched on it when you talked about going into therapy earlier on and how good it felt to talk about the truth. Now in recovery, as a person who grew up keeping secrets to to now be able to talk openly about your story and uh, and just to stand in your truth. How does that feel and how did it feel the first time?
2: Oh the first time, scary. Very scary. When I said that, why I, I want to share and and how I want to inspire and change this stigma of shame that, that mothers, uh, women, wives go through. And, and, and being from a small town, the shame and the embarrassment of it, you know, at, at first. But then as I start sharing. And people would message me and be like, Nicole, you know, I can't thank you enough. I can relate to this, this part. And so at some point, it became like it switched. My mentality went from, oh, what are people going to think? What, you know, people are talking to, I don't really care what people say. I don't really care what people think. The only people that matter are my you know, the man upstairs and, and my, my girls. And so there was like a switch and I don't know exactly when it happened, but where I just was like, I'm not holding in any more shame for what happened to me, my accident, my childhood. And if I can share that, I know other women will be able to share and they'll be able to share And it, it, now it becomes freely. I remember like a year and a half ago, I was at the hair salon and they had said something about a party or whatever. And I said, well, I don't drink anymore. And they're like, what? And I said, yeah, I, I, I've been sober for at the time, I think it was a year and eight months. And they're like, Oh my gosh. And I said, and it was in the salon, you know, all kinds of women. I said, yeah, I said ever since you know October 6, 2017, um alcohol does not serve me. Um and I will never um drink again and um there's no shame in that. And the hairdresser was like didn't really kind of know how to react to that, and you know, there's other women sitting there, and you can hear, and again, it's a small town. But I think part of that then just inspired me more to to talk more about it, and and there there is something that a lot of women say. You know, there's so, there's it's so powerful to share your journey and to share your truth. It it just it just makes you want to do more
1: (laughs) amen (laughs) what is it about the hair salon you know outside of sharing circles the salon is where I have had my most candid and frank discussions that surprised even me like I maybe it's something about being so physically close and someone touching you that sort of unlocks a different level of of intimacy or something, but (laughs) I know exactly what you mean, where you're like, oh, here I am in this public place telling my story. (laughs) Yeah. And,
2: you know, at that time I had friends, somewhat close friends. Well, obviously they weren't that close, but that didn't even know that I had, that I had stopped drinking. I mean, a lot of people knew that my life had drastically changed because, I became somewhat of a recluse like I said that that whole first year after my accident so a lot of people didn't even know but you know when you blurt it out there in a public setting and then it was like you know what there's nothing wrong with this and I survived sharing that in public so Um, Where else can I share
1: it? (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And really, it's a whole lot less embarrassing than, you know, telling the same story for the third time at the bar. (laughs) (laughs) Very true. Black stained teeth from drinking red (laughs) wine. I mean, that seems like a normal Wednesday night, but... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, well nicole we're out of time before i let you go you know it's it's january a lot of people are just beginning uh either trying out a sober january or having made a, a new year's resolution there's there's a lot of newcomers to recovery into this podcast at this time of year mm-hmm. and i just wonder if you have any words of encouragement for anyone that's just getting started right now
2: yeah um using the the platforms that we have now available as far as the groups that I belong to. It, it's amazing. So I encourage people to find the resources. There are such incredible, helpful, uh, free resources out there to help. and And it's a shame that more people don't know that. So I really want to want to say for those of you starting out your sober January and in the new year, ask for help. Reach out. It's so important to not hold things in and to not go at it alone because it's going to be hard. And so asking for help, giving yourself grace and loving yourself through it is going to be incredibly important and again dealing with your feelings and and why you will continue why you want to stay sober and live that kind of life and and the changes you want to make
1: thank you so much nicole i appreciate you being here thank you jean Listeners, if you would like to reach out to Nicole, you can reach her by sending an email to me, thebubblehour at gmail.com, and I will forward it on to her. That's all for this week. Be sure to check the show notes. I will post a link to the resource that Nicole mentioned, The Language of Letting Go by Melody Beattie. Get out there. Live a good life. Take care of yourself. Take care of each other. We are all in in this together. None of us have to do this alone. It's better with friends. That's all for this week. Bye-bye.
0: I own it. I did that. Not proud, but that was me. And when I face it, I take back a little dignity. Not looking for excuses. I just want to be free from power. Weakness head on. strong just cause you'll keep it on the side It just stays in wait there to rob you of your pride. Turn the light on, turn the light on, you can shine. When you see the old I did that, proud that that was me. And when I face it, I take back a little dignity. i not a little Excuses. I just want to be free from power. Oh yes, head on. You don't have to shout it out on Main Street to be clear. You don't need to whisper to confessional ears. Person you should talk to is looking at you in the mirror. And the one who matters most can always hear When you say I am old, I did that Not proud, but that was me And when I face it, I take back a little dignity I'm not looking for excuses I just want to be free from the power Oh, you said I'm free When you say I am old, I did that Not proud I take back a little dignity I'm not looking for excuses I just want to be free from power